we are live. Good morning, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Um, it's time for some Torah. Today we have the privilege of a of having a lovely dynamic duo that we've had last spring, Rabbanit Sarah Walkenfeld and Rabbanit Leah Sarna, this time teaching on the topic of labor and Shabbat, specifically the 24th century work Shabbat balance. Um, this is a this is today is the first session of a four session series starting starting on the 7th and going to the 28th. Um, this class is also this class will be recorded for future listening. So if you really like what you hear and you just want to hear more or if you want to catch up from a previous class, this will be available on our on our Facebook live as almost as soon as class ends as well as in our audio library, along with many of Adrisha's other classes. While I'd like to think they need no introduction, I believe they do. Um, our teachers today are Ramanit Leasarna. She is the Associate Director and the Associate Director of Education, as well as the Director of the Dr. Beth Samuels High School Programs at Risha. She has previously served as the Director of Religious Engagement in, at Anshay Shalom B'nai Israel in Chicago. She has her speaker from Yeshivat Maharat. She holds, she, as well as studying in Yale, and she has, in addition, she's learned in the, in the Beit Midrash at Migdal Oz, in Drisha and in the Center for Modern Torah Leadership. She has published widely in the Atlantic, Washington Post, Lur House, My Jewish Learning. She teaches in, also, in Orthodox synagogues and Jewish communal settings around the world. And if you want to hear more of our classes, if you just like what you hear, there's plenty on our audio library. In addition, we have Rabbi Sarah Walkenfeld. Um, she is the Chief Learning Officer at Sparia, and she is passionate about her expanding Jewish textual knowledge for all. She is also been, the, been, been a fellow at the Hartman Center of North America and, the, and a director of education at the Hillel at Princeton University, part of the JLIC. She comes to us having studied in various Jewish institutions in Israel and America, including, but, not, but certainly not limited to Midrash and Lindenbaum, Risha, Mishmat, Beit Marasha. She is also a lecturer who speaks on various Jewish topics at synagogue schools and university communities and, 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 comes, to us, and comes to us from the Midwest tonight. All right. Um, is there any, um, if you have noticed that you may be getting an invitation to be a panelist, and I strongly, that is not a mistake, we strongly encourage that you um, accept it. That way you can turn on your video, see and be seen. Um, it, we do this as a security measure. You do not have to, this is not like parking in the rabbi's parking spot. You do not have to give the class if you accept the panelist invitation. It makes it, it just makes it easier to ask questions. Um, everyone is very welcome to keep their cameras on. It's nice to see your face. Um, all I ask is when you are not, if you are not speaking or asking a question, please mute yourself. Um, and if you would like, and there will be sources shared on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along, they're certainly posted in the Google, in the Google link below in the chat, as well as have gone out in, in PDF form earlier this day. Um, if you are tuning in from Facebook as well, also, please do ask questions. We will be monitoring, monitoring the chat in both Zoom and Facebook Live. So, and with that, uh, Ramanit Sarna, Ramanit Wolkenfeld, good evening. Amazing. Um, hi, everyone. Good to see some of the faces here um, and some of the names in the list, even if we can't see your faces, uh, but we would love to. Um, we are, so just wanted to kind of let you know how uh, Ravani Walkenfeld and I like to run our Zoom classes together. Um, so people should definitely turn on their videos. We love to see your faces, um, but do keep muted. We will have opportunities for questions. We have like plans in breaks um, as we go through the sources for Q&A. So um, there'll be times when we'll be sharing a screen and then times where we stop sharing a screen for there to be some questions. And at that point, you can either put questions into the chat or you can like raise a hand and unmute. Um, and then we will have an opportunity to even hear your voices, which would be so fun. Um, the way it's gonna work is that we're gonna trade off presenting sources. The person who's not presenting sources at that point in time is gonna both be the person who's not like teaching at that point in time is going to both be minding the chat. So if you have like a quick clarification question, while well, let's say Rabbi Walkenfeld is teaching, I'll be watching the chat and I can clarify it for you. Um, and then in addition to that, if you, um, I'll also be taking like dynamic notes on the shared screen. So as she's talking, maybe if there was like a point that is super important, I'll like write it in as a note on the screen and you can watch 
that too. So while you have access to the source sheet and to you might have printed it out as a PDF in advance, um, there's also like a dynamism to watching the sheet that will be editing kind of in front of your eyes um, as we go. So I think that's the housekeeping notes. Um, and I'll transition now just by way of introduction to sort of what is the premise of this class. So Drisha is in the middle of a, um, our, or we're kicking off a semester all about work um, and all about um, like, what does work even look like in the 21st century? Jewish sources on what work should look like, the week, Shabbat, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, so work versus rest, also important questions. Um, and what we're interested in specifically is when we think about the prohibited labors on Shabbat, so many of them are labors that you and I do not do in our like non-agrarian professional lives. Like, I don't know when the last time I winnowed was, but the answer might be never. Um, and, um, and so what does that mean when I think of, oh, the, the, the main, like, the main definition of work is all the stuff I don't do. And then on Shabbat, I refrain from work that I also don't do during the week. So then what is Shabbat <laughs> um, in that situation? How am I supposed to think about it? So um, that's kind of the, the, the energizing question of this class. And today we're going to be looking at um, one of the First of all, we're going to have three classes that are case studies in like areas of Hilchot Shabbat that maybe there's actually halakha around something that touches on the work that we actually do do. And it's sort of our feeling is like these areas of halakha are kind of like understudied when compared to like, can I plow my field? Um, and that really maybe it should be the other way and that this is what we should be studying when we learn Hilchot Shabbat. And then the fourth class is going to be a class about um, it's gonna be more of like a theoretical take of like, when we think about Shabbat in general, tying in these three case studies to maybe like a grander scheme of how we think about prohibited work on Shabbat. So that's just like where we're going. And today in specific, in particular, we're gonna be talking about um, a, um, a question about reading. So there's actually lots of halakhic material that we're gonna look at today about a topic called Shtare Hediot which I'm not gonna, I'm gonna leave as of yet undefined because we're gonna see Tosfot with a whole debate about what it means and, and whatever, and we'll see it inside in the Talmud, but it's, it's, it's um, maybe we can translate it as like documents. <laughs> Let's leave it as documents for now. Um, and, and really like a prohibition on reading those documents on Shabbat that originates in, in, the, Torah, in the Talmud. And what's so exciting about it is that, I don't know about you, but I spend the vast majority of my work hours reading, like whether I'm reading uh, emails or whether I'm reading websites or whether I'm researching something or whether I'm maybe like writing something, but that also involves reading. Um, so much of my workday is reading. And then like, oh, it's Shabbos. Now I finally have time to read. And like, what does that mean? Because I just read all week long. So we're going to try and really like put our finger on what's that distinction between work reading and Shabbos reading and maybe um, and maybe make some suggestions even about how to be like more thoughtful about it than maybe anyone um, anyone was before. So that's the that's kind of the project for today. Um, and with that, I think I'm going to turn it over to Ravani Walkenfeld, but and I'm going to share my screen. Um, so that you can watch as I take notes on the things that she's going to say. Awesome. Thanks, Arvind Steiner, for that intro. Um, I will just say maybe one, just one more word of introduction, which is that um, you heard a little bit about us. We don't necessarily know all of you, um, but you also got to hear, in addition to Arvind Sarna's like official bio, you also got to do, got to hear about what she does most frequently as part of her work. Um, so I'll invite everyone to introduce yourself in the chat. Um, and you can say either the, the, the labor you do most frequently for your work or the hardest, I'll just leave that in quotes, right? The hardest labor you think you do for your work. Um, and we'll use that as a way of getting to know each other around this particular topic. So with that, we'll dive right into the Gemara. We're going to kick it off with a Mishnah in Masechet Shabbat appropriately enough. The larger context here, actually, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but I would say the larger context here is that this chapter of Masechet Shabbat deals with 
um, com like commercial things that you can't do on Shabbat, like work, um, but just commercial transactions in general. So mostly things that are uh, that are darabanan, that are rabbinic enactments, either you know you could say to keep you from doing other things or rabbinic add-ons to Shabbat. Um, there's no verse in the Torah that specifically says that you can't do anything commercial on Shabbat. Um, but this chapter is is the rabbis kind of fleshing out um, why and in what ways that might not be a good idea. Um, and here actually will be the place where I will tell you the thing that I think I do um, most for work, um, which the Mishnah speaks to, actually for everything in life, um, which the Mishnah speaks to directly. So the Mishnah says, You can count guests or appetizers. Okay, it's, it's Shabbat. Maybe it's been COVID, you haven't hosted in a while, you haven't been hosted in a while. Put yourself into that mindset though. It's Shabbat, you're having a meal and you're thinking, okay, I have um, 16 guests and I need to have 16 chairs and I have X number of appetizers and then I'm serving this course and then I'm serving that course and you've written this all down in lists. I feel like this Mishnah, I feel seen by this Mishnah because I love making lists and I have lists for everything. And I 100% have lists for what I'm serving for Shabbat every single time, even when it's just my family, because otherwise, I inevitably forget the potatoes in the fridge. And so this Mishnah is telling you that you can uh, you can have these lists, you can count them, but only me peep, only Baal Peh from memory of Alomin Haktav, but not from a written list. You can't have these things in a written list that you read from on Shabbat. Seems on the one hand straightforward, on the other hand, how are we all going to get by without our lists, or at least how am I going to get by without my lists? And the Gemara immediately dives into asking, what's the reason for this, right? To Rabbanit Sarna's point earlier, this is not winnowing, this is not threshing, this is not plowing. Like what exactly could be, possibly be wrong with just reading a list off a piece of paper? And by the way, if I asked you and, and you responded, I'm sure you could come up with times when we are allowed to read on Shabbat. It's not like a blanket prohibition against reading. We, for example, read Torah on Shabbat. So what exactly is going on here? The Gemara has two answers. It's a rabbinic enactment, lest you come to a race. So now we're like on to something, right? Because erasing is a real live melacha. Erasing is actually something that's forbidden on Shabbat. You're not allowed to erase on Shabbat, just as you're not allowed to write on Shabbat. So if you were to read a list from, from writing, right? It's one thing if you've memorized, if you were to read a written list, you might come to erasing. Thumbs up, thumbs down. How do people feel about this reason? How worried are you about erasing? Rubin <laughs> is not worried about erasing. No, no, not, not so much concerned about erasing. Okay, I see one head shake. Here's your other option. Abaye mark, zera shamik rabishtere hedyotot. Abaye says it's exera, lest you come to read. Um, I guess we left it untranslated earlier, but this is a translation here anyway. So the translation here is regular business documents. Um, Right, so just, um, yeah, right, star head yoke means that it's not, you don't need um, a degree to read it, like you don't need to be a CPA, but it's like your average business document that any business owner, business worker would be able to have and read. So the concern is, again, this sort of commercial activity that um, you might you might accidentally, just to play this out, right, what you, you have two pieces of paper, on your dining room table, one is a list of all the guests, and the other is um, like the you know a summary of your banking a bank account, right? Like you know transactions, whatever. And you might pick up the wrong one, or you might think it's okay to read one because you couldn't read the other. So we're just going to blanket forbid it. The Gemara asks, "My Benai, who? What's the difference between these two reasons? Like, what's the practical difference? What's a case that would mean uh, that where where one of these reasons would apply and the other one would not?" And the Gemara says, It's the, a practical difference is that the writing is on a wall and it's really high up. So you wouldn't be able to reach it. If you're worried about erasing, so I can't reach it to erase. So I really don't need to worry about erasing. But you still might come to accidentally read the business documents. Now, 
again, I could ask you like thumbs up, thumbs down, right? How likely do you think it is that because you're reading a list off a wall, you're going to come to read a business document? So the Gemara is also like not actually so sure about this. And there's a lot more in the Gemara here um, that we're skipping over for time constraints. But um, may I recommend Safaria as a place where you could go to read the rest of the Gemara, should you choose to do that? Um, but essentially, the Gemara keeps coming back to this tension between the two reasons, right? On the one hand, lest you come to a race. On the other hand, lest you come to read regular business documents. How many cases can we fit in between those, right? Like, are there really cases where only one would be a concern and not the other? And do we need to knock out both concerns in order to say that reading is permitted? And the Gemara adds one, uh, one postscript here, one additional piece of information that's gonna be useful to us going forward. Tanu Ravanan. If you have writing that's under a picture or under a, um, like a sculpture or something like that, um, you can't read that on Shabbat. Um, I, I, in my mind, I'm calling these captions, but maybe someone knows a better word. Like when you go to a museum and there's like, you, you think captions, I feel, just feel like there should be a fancier word for it because captions are like on a foot. I guess it could be a caption. It's the like little plaque that's on the wall next to the, picture when you go to the museum. It's like the explanation of it. Um, that's how I'm picturing this. So that also you cannot read on Shabbat, um, presumably because of one or both of these reasons. So those are all the categories of writing that are discussed in the Gemara. And those are the reasons. And those reasons, the Shema Yimchok, right? Lest you come to um, erase it versus Shema Yikra, lest you come to re read things that you shouldn't be reading. This is the core of the machloket that's gonna sustain us and sustain the energy of this disagreement going forward all the way through modern times. So for anything, and I, I, I'm not tracking the chat right now since I'm talking and I'm not gonna to try to multitask that way. So I don't know what you all said about what you do for a living. Um, but imagine pretty much any kind of reading, almost any kind of reading that you do as part of your work, whether it's um, work that you get paid for or just you know everyday work, um, pretty much anything that you could think of kind of gets incorporated under one of those two concerns. Either you might swap it out for something or you might erase it. Most categories are covered and you can really see this in the Shulchan Aruch, which I'm not going to read all of, but I am going to summarize a little bit, um, that, that Rav Yosef Karo goes through. And like, again, almost every kind of writing you can imagine is somehow covered in these pro prohibitions. So he starts easy with the Mishnah, where you invited guests and you prepared all sorts of delicious dishes for them. You made your list. How many people did you invite? And how many dishes did you prepare? So you can't read any of that on Shabbat, even if it's written on a really high wall. So he's got that covered. So you still can't read it on Shabbat um, because you might come to uh, you might come to read Shtarei Head Yotot. You might come to read these forbidden documents. Um, and the Ramah, the Ashkenazi gloss on the Shulchan Aruch, adds that you can't even read it, um, read it with your mind is the translation here. I don't like read it like the way most people read nowadays, I think, like quietly, right? Unless you're reading to a small child. Um, you can't even read it um, silently to yourself. And, and he goes on from there to the, these, all of these other categories of forbidden writing. So you can't read it even if it's um, carved, you can't read it, um, you for sure can't read Shari Hedyo, you for sure can't read um, actual, um, you know, business documents, right, things that actually have um, some kind of commercial value. Um, I'm going on to the next page, I think. Um, unless you're still taking notes there, yeah. Um, right, so Shari Hedyo Tote, so that's a problem. You can't read those on Shabbat for sure. Um, you can maybe read a letter, like Rodbi Egeret you can maybe read a letter that was sent to you if you don't know what's in it, um, but you still shouldn't read it out loud. You can just read it, um, you know, to yourself. Um, if you see if there's a wall or a curtain, something drawn on it again, and the little like caption underneath it, still can't read it on Shabbat and on and on and on, right? All these different things that you can't read on Shabbat. Um, and then, um, Maybe, maybe the more relevant category for us, um, books, all kind of books, Milizot, um, Mashalim, all different kinds of secular books. You can't read those on Shabbat, 
by the way, the Shulchan Aruch wants you to know, you can't read those anytime because those are just a waste of time anyway. Um, so no novels um, per the Shulchan Aruch that Hermione Sarna can teach that class for Drisha a different time. Um, but, uh, but really no, no like um, uh, idle reading on Shabbat. And for the punchline, the last piece we have here from the Shulchan Aruch, Asur Lilmod V'Shabbat V'Yom Tov, Zulat B'Divrei Torah. You really can only learn Torah on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Even like, like real books, like serious books, not frivolous, but just not Jewish. Can't read those either. Um, yeah, and maybe some people would allow it, but basically you should really be careful what you read on Shabbat. Um, and I already see the comments coming in, right? Um, and you're right. You're all right. This doesn't leave you a whole lot to read on Shabbat. I mentioned before we read Torah on Shabbat like, that's good. If you, you know, go to a congregation or you sit at home and you read Torah or you hear Torah read, good job, says the Shulchan Aruch. Pretty much anything else that you could pick up to read, um, more or less not, right? It's more or less just Torah. Um, yeah, right. You go to shul, you take a nap, you can learn Torah, you can go to the Beit Midrash. That's about it. It doesn't leave you very much else. But I want to, um, I want to give you a little bit of hope for some reading and um, qualify this a little bit um, with a paragraph from an essay that Rabbi Nitzarna and I read um, by Rabbi Eitan Henkin, um, who uh, was tragically killed a few years ago. He's the, uh, he was the son of Rav Henkin and Rabbi Nit Henkin from Yishmat. Maybe some of you studied some of their Torah at some point. Um, and he wrote this really amazing article about, about this topic. And I think that um, I think for, for me in particular, one of the most interesting parts about this article is how he really thinks about the developments of technology in relation to this topic. We can do a little pop quiz. Anyone know when the printing press was invented? You can put it in the chat. How many years do you think passed between when the printing press was invented and when the Shulchan Aruch was written. Yeah, I see some good guesses. So Shulchan Aruch, um, so the printing press is around, is the 1440s. Um, and some of these later guesses are closer to the time of the Shulchan Aruch. It's maybe 120 years or so between when the printing press is invented, um, really becomes a thing, and when the Shulchan Aruch was printed, which is to say that pretty much this covers, this the, the Shulchan Aruch covered almost every single kind of written material that was available in the days of Chazal for sure, and even probably mostly in the days of the Shulchan Aruch himself. There just wasn't a lot of printed material around, wasn't a lot of written material because everything that was written would have had to be handwritten, very little print. And, and Rabbi Eitam Henkin makes that point. And he says like, this covers pretty much everything, but nowadays we have a lot more print. And he gives examples. He says, um, and I'm sort of skipping to the middle of the paragraph, everywhere you go nowadays, there is, there's the written word. You can't get away from it. He says, there's, um, there's announcements and there's, what's the English for Pashkavilim? There's those like paper things that are hung up on the walls outside in Jerusalem. And there's, um, and there's, uh, what? Yeah, there's signs and there's advertisements and there's um, street signs and, right, we just have tons and tons of printed material, not to mention children's books, which presumably at some point were not a thing. And there's pictures and there's just so much print material in our world. Rabbi Hanson says, you, you just, you can't get away from it, basically. Um, and this, that's his bottom line here. If you take the Shulchan Aruch at his word, all of this is completely forbidden. And yet, <laughs> the chances of us getting away from all of it on Shabbat are really, really, really low. And so we're going to have to come to an understanding of how the changes in technology around print and around all this written material are going to impact the way that we understand all of these halachot. Um, pausing for questions, um, and then I will turn it over to Revenant Sarna. We got a lot of questions in the chat that are like questions we should save until the end. 
they're like, can I read my schoolwork on Chavez? We just like haven't quite gotten there yet. So give us a chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any, any last urgent questions? And then we can go on. Oh, I love the answers to what we do on Shabbat or what we do for work or all of the above. Oh, we got, we got a great question um, earlier of if the concern is Shari Hadyo, then wouldn't things that are like, well, the heart of the concern is Shari Hadyo, and so we don't want you to read this in case you'll come to Shari Hadyo, isn't that a zero zero? That was a question that came up. Yeah, that is a good, I don't know if we want to answer that now, but it is a good question. It is definitely a concern that comes up here um, in a lot of the sources that we looked at, like um, you sort of you sort of have to say um, you have to wind up saying that this this is the xera right that the xera is don't read things on Shabbat um, and we haven't really introduced this terminology yet though it's about to come up that the the overall idea of um, how do we want to say this right uh, the the words that are often used to kind of steer us away from weekday things on Shabbat that you can't like do your normal stuff and talk in your normal way on Shabbat, and, um, and so the idea is we're, that we're directly interpreting what does it mean to not, or we're interpreting that whole phrase, maybe what does it mean to not do those things? Um, maybe what it means is to not read, um, not read things that are unrelated of which unrelated to Shabbat, of which Star Hedyot is like the paradigmatic example, but other things are sort of um, like in a broader category. I think that's as much as I would say without giving away some of the stuff that you're about to do, Rabini Sarna. Totally fine. We got a good question from, I mean, all the questions are good. I'll stop qualifying <laughs> each one that I say. We got a question from Ilana um, about Shema Yimachik, in case you'll come to erase. Is the concern that you'll like spill water on a manuscript and then it'll get erased like accidentally or is it more of a concern of like, you'll erase it on purpose? I think here we're talking about erasing on purpose and I did see some, you know, answers about like but no, I think the assumption is um, you, might, you might really erase. You might actually decide to erase this. Um, the way I might, I mean, probably not, but like in theory, if I were writing a list, um, during the week, I might decide, nope, like, you know, I had five dishes I was going to make and I changed my mind and I'm only making four, um, aspirationally. Right. Um, so I think the concern is about actual erasing. Okay. Um, I think we should keep going. Also, um, Sarah, I think we messed it up last time. I think it was that the reader shared their screen. I know. I was person to comment. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to share my screen again, but this yes, time I'm I will read, and yep. your comments will appear on the screen that I'm sharing. Um, and that will be easier for everyone. And you won't have to watch all my typos as they appear in the race. Um, okay, so we're gonna keep going. Now we're, we're, done, we're diving into the Middle Ages, um, into the Rishonim. So we're starting with the Rambam on Shabbat. And he, right, when, when, when Rabbi Wachenfeld read the Gemara and, and the Shulchanach, she laid it out of like, well, it's the, it is the concern both, like meaning sometimes when there's like, oh, you can't make your list of guests and the concern is either because you'll come to a race or because you'll come to read these documents. So often the move then is, well, yes, both of those are the concern. But what we're going to see is actually that in the Rishonim, in the, in the medieval commentators, that, that's not exactly how it shakes out. And it does actually seem like the medieval commentators take sides in this debate. So first we'll see, um, we'll see the Rambam and there's debates actually about how to read the Rambam, but the, we're gonna read it, um, we're gonna read it in one way and, and you'll see why, why it's complicated. Um, but the Rambam, he's a very um, methodical writer, which is what motivates um, my read of him in this way is that the side that he takes is that it's about erasing. So he says, so you're not allowed to read ordinary business documents on Shabbat because once you're reading those documents, you'll, you'll interact, you'll engage with those documents the way you engage with them on a weekday, and that will bring you to 
erasing. So to Yolanda's question from before of like, oh, is it you'll accidentally spill water? Like, no, here you, you see the Rambam saying, it's not an accident. You're going to forget, that, or if there's an accident, the accident is that you forgot that it's Shabbos. Um, and you're going to, because you're engaging with like a non-Shabbistic item, you're going to engage with it in the normal way that you would, which would cause you to do a Torah prohibited activity of erasing, right? And erasing is one of the 39 prohibited um, activities on Shabbat. Um, so then he brings down our rules. So Moned on Parvotav, you're allowed to count your appetizers and your guests, but you have to do it from memory and not from writing um, so that you won't come to read your regular doc or your ordinary document, which you might then erase. Um, and he brings all the other rules that, that we saw other places, both in the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch. Um, but, um, and then he adds in this other thing, which we saw in the Shulchan Aruch, but I think actually uh, the Rambam brings it again. And, and it's always this kind of um, orienting part of the conversation about reading on Shabbat is that, okay, like here's the prohibited activity here's the prohibited Shabbat activity that we're worried about, but there's this other piece of if you're reading this stuff, then what are you not spending your Shabbos doing, right? Like Shabbos is this limited like 25 hours in time, and you're not only like not supposed to do these prohibited activities, you're also, yes, supposed to spend that time in a very particular way, and so here's what the Ramam has to say about that. Afli asor, even to read Ktuvim, even to read Tehillim or Megillat Rut or Eov or something on Shabbos, at the time when you're supposed to be in the Beit Hamidrash, at the time when you're supposed to be in the study hall learning Torah with other people, that is prohibited. Even that kind of reading is prohibited, right? Even a third of Tanakh, you're not allowed to read on Shabbos if it's at the wrong time when you're supposed to be doing something else. Gzera mishum bitul beit hamidrash, because the concern is that you won't go to the beit hamidrash, you won't be participating in this communal Torah learning activity that is essential to what happens on Shabbos in the eyes of the Rambam. Um, and he, right, his concern is exactly that there'll be a pandemic and the following will happen. That because um, if if you are reading Tehillim at home, you you won't then and then everyone will just be sitting in their own home reading their own thing and they won't go to the Beit Hamidrash, which is what according to the Rambam you're supposed to spend your Shabbos doing. So it's both. So in the debate of if you think it's a debate between what's the problem with reading documents? It seems like Rambam is on the side of the problem is that you'll come to erase it. But then he has this other side of like, and by the way, the other piece about reading is that there's stuff you're supposed to be doing on Shabbos and is your reading getting in the way of you doing that stuff? Um, okay, so that's the Rambam. Tosvo um, takes it in a different direction. So the first piece of the Tosvo here is he has kind of... Um, he, he lays out some different positions about like what, what is Shtare Hedyot. So as I mentioned, uh, I, I, I wanted to like not, uh, I wanted to, to not define it so that we could get to this Tosfo, but we couldn't get this far without kind of using language for it. Um, so he says the Rashi translates Shtare Hedyot. Rashi translates these words, Pirish Bakuntras, Igarot, which is to mean letters. And then Tosfo go on to say, hold on, but people read letters on Shabbos and actually, um, right, and not people read them, people carry them, so they're also not mukta. Um, and it's, it's, it's for sure permitted to read letters on Shabbos, so it can't be that shtare hadyot are letters, says the Tosfot, and so then he suggests um, a different, an alternative definition of Shtari Hedyot. The Re suggests, It's business documents. It's documents that outline debts. Aval Shari, but letters are for sure permitted. And why are they permitted? So this is our, our introduction to like some kinds of maybe like non-Torah learning reading would be permitted. So what? How? what's our always permitted category on Shabbat is if 
something could put you in a life-threatening situation. So um, maybe you're going to read a letter and it's going to have important, urgent information that would enable you to save a life. Um, and, um, and then he says, So you're a Even if you know that there's no pikuach nefesh in the letter, Rabbi Nutam still permits you to read it on Shabbat. So all of a sudden, right, we saw Shulchan Aruch is like, anything that you have that has words on it, you can't read. And now all of a sudden it's supposed to look like, oh no, letters, everyone reads letters. Who doesn't read letters? Um, and, and he says, yeah, and letters are simply the low have shtari hadyot. So letters are simply not part of shtari hadyot. Um, and um, and he says, um, okay, fine. I think we're gonna we're gonna keep going in here. Um, and so, what's the what's the concern of Shari? What's the concern about reading things? The concern about reading things then is this concern about like business. So, mashma, I'm in the underlined part here. Mashma dafka kein chovut ushtarot. Um, and um, and the whole right the the concern is that you're gonna be reading about. Um, documents that outline things that are owed to other people, and you're basically going to be doing business on Shabbos, and that is the core problem. And the way that um, this gets extrapolated, but he doesn't exactly give give this language to it, is exactly as Reverend Wolkenfeld said before that that the problem is that you'll be doing inappropriate, you'll be talking about inappropriate things on Shabbat, and that's the prohibition of Daber Davar, which is Rami Shayahu, as we already said that that on Shabbos, you have to talk about Shabbos things and not talk about weekday things. And if you're reading a Shtar Hadiot, then you're going to be talking about weekday things. Um, and then, but then like everyone else, he also takes this as an opportunity to talk about reading things that um, are totally like secular. And he, he does bring up that, you know, certain secular things that are inappropriate um, even, even on a weekday, you're not supposed to read that stuff because it's like a total waste of time. So there's like, so it, the Tosfot has three categories of things. He has things that are letters and things that are like letters, which are totally permitted, all the time permitted, permitted on Shabbat. Business documents, prohibited on Shabbat, permitted on weekdays. And then things that are Moshev Leitzin, things that are are, are, are the, the sitting of clowns, like uh, not a good use of your time ever, not on Shabbos, not on weekdays. So three categories of, of things you might read. Um, one other thing that, that comes out from other um, Ashkenazi Rishonim is, um, so this is the Or Zarua, and he suggests that Yish Chiluk ben Kriyab Pele Re'iyab Alma. So I'm in I'm in this underlined part here that and he brings up all of a sudden, maybe there's a distinction between reading with your eyes and speaking this. We saw this in briefly in the Shulchan Aruch and here we, we see it again, that um, if, if it's about Daber Davar, if it's about on Shabbos, you have to talk about not weekday things on Shabbos, you have to talk about Shabbos things, then, um, then it's about speech. It's about articulation with your mouth. So maybe you can read things with your eyes that you're not allowed to talk about. And what that means then is that you can't read them with your mouth. Um, and there's like, there's a whole history of like how literacy works and actually like the invention of people just reading with their eyes is like relatively late. Um, and so I think like that's some of what's going on here is that actually the normal way for, of reading in his time would have been um, like reading it quietly to yourself with your mouth. And that this is actually like, almost like a shinui or like an unusual thing to read it just with your eyes um, and have that be what's permitted. But it definitely like gets carried forward into halakha, this idea, this like carve out for things that you're just reading with your eyes, but then not, um, but then not necessarily talking about. And there's one other kind of carve out that I want to I want to bring up, and that's brought up by the Ramah and his Darche Musha. So just a word about what this is. So the Ramah is living at the same time as the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch is writing in Tzfat, and the Ramah is writing in Krakow. Um, and just like the Shulchan Aruch before he, just like Rav Yosef Karo, before he wrote the Shulchan Aruch, wrote the Beit Yosef, which is his like much longer excursus on the halachic topic at hand. Um, so the Ramah did the same thing and the Ramah's longer excursus 
are called the Darchim Moshe. Um, and so, and, and there's two of them, um, which is whatever, for another time, we can talk about the difference between the Darchim Moshe Ha'aruch and the Darchim Moshe HaKatsar. This is the shorter one. Um, we'll leave it at that for now. But one of the things that he brings up is he has a carve out for reading things in Hebrew. So he says, The prohibition on reading business documents is if those business documents are not in Hebrew, is if they're in Lashon Amzar, the vernacular, they're in the vernacular. But if they're written in Hebrew, then you're allowed to read Shtari Hedyot in Hebrew. Why? It's amazing. It's, a hella, it's a, such like a, an American like Zionist uh, dream, I feel, what he's about to say. Because the language in and of itself has holiness. Just, you can read a business document in Hebrew because just the reading of it in Hebrew is Torah because like it'll prepare you to learn Nizikin or something like that. <laughs> like it'll prepare you to um to learn, you know, Babakava from reading your business document in Hebrew. So the Hebrew itself um opens up possibilities. So just to recap, right? So if we were gonna try and say the Gemara has this debate, um, what's what's wrong with reading your guest list from paper? One side says it's about in case you'll come to erase, one side says in case you'll come to um, in case you'll come to read business documents. And then you might have thought in a normal situation, we would say, oh, we're gonna carry both of those with us. And, and that's gonna become this like really solid foundation for prohibiting all reading. That's not really what we see in the Rishonim exactly. It seems like the Rambam says, yeah, the reason is about erasing. Tosfot said the reason is really about reading business documents. And the proof for how strongly Tosfot think that is that they say you're allowed to read and carry around and do all sorts of things with letters. And if the concern was erasing, then certainly letters would not be um, more permissible than any other kind of business document. Um, so that those are maybe like the two camps we can we can say um, of Rambam versus Tosvot. And then we saw two potential like exceptions or, or ways around it. So the first one was the Orzarua who says the prohibition is really about reading it out loud because it's a, it's really rooted in this speech prohibition of the Ber Davar. And the Darche Moshe says another way around it would be if it were in Hebrew, says the Ramosha uh, Eshelis. Um, because um, once it's in Hebrew, it's all Torah and you're learning. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing. This will be another good moment for questions. Also, if you're watching on Facebook, also ask questions. Please do. I'll have some along. Thanks, Kayla. So we, we got a lot of fun questions this time. Um, and I'll just just like highlight a few. I think you I think you sort of addressed all of them in some ways, but um, and I answered a few little ones, like details, but um, I think, um, well, working backwards, um, there's a question about Divrei Torah that are written in the vernacular. Um, yeah, which I would just say, yeah. <laughs> but maybe you want to add. Um, yeah, but no, I think Divrei Torah in the vernacular um, probably are, I mean, if you're concerned about erasing, then you only want oral Divrei Torah. Like if you're full on in the Rambam camp, then like you're not reading anything. I don't know how you're allowed to read from a Sefer Torah. Um, but if you're, <laughs> um, if you're, well, maybe the normal way of reading from a Sefer Torah is not to erase as you go. Definitely don't recommend doing that. So, um, so, so maybe maybe a Sefer Torah would be allowed, but like nothing else, right? Including like I don't know, like I take notes and all my svarim. So like maybe I would come to like erase, and then and then that would be a problematic thing. So. Um, so yeah, but if you're in like Camp Tosfot, then like for sure you're yes allowed to read it in the vernacular. Um, and I think if you're in Camp Ramah, where if you're Camp Ramah, um, if you're in the Ramah's camp, um, and you're um, and like the point of Hebrew is that it's Torah, that if it's already Torah, it probably doesn't need to be Hebrew in addition. Yeah, and then someone pointed out a bunch of comments back. Right, I think. It's definitely definitely seems to be the implication of the Rambam that um, now like nowadays most of what we read would be fine. You can't erase print. So if you want to go with the Rambam and apply it that way, right? That definitely works. Um, Very good. 
There was a question about why they're so un, why everyone's so focused on the risk that you'll come to erase rather than that you'll come to write, which is still a concern with print. Um, yeah, I think that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think a few thoughts on that. One is that um, erasing, even in the eyes of the Gemara, is like um, almost like a prerequisite to writing. Um, that like erasing makes space for more writing. So imagine a world with like a tremendous paper scarcity, which is not how like most of us live our lives. Um, then yeah, like if you want to write more things, you have to um, you have to like make make way for that. <laughs> um, and so the first thing, the first step towards your next writing project would be erasing something already on the the page in front of you. Yeah. No dinner napkins available. Yeah. <laughs> And lots did of you want to say something else about erasing about erasing versus writing or did I like capture no, it? I, I think that's right. I think it's all I think that the idea is like that's going to be your first action. I also wonder whether writing was considered more of a specialist activity, right? Like who who could write? Not everybody wrote. Writing was like um scribes. Will scribes, right? Like very fancy writing, not like um, you know. Not this, right? Like people didn't have these. So I think that that's part of it also, right? Anyone could erase, but maybe not um, everybody could write. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, um, oh, so Tracy, I'm, I'm just on like, uh, whatever, I'm reading this amazing book called Sacred Trash about the Cairo Gniza. But so they go into pretty great depths about um, what writing and erasing looks like logistically in the times of the Rishonim, because the Kniza has stuff from the times of the Rishonim, obviously. Um, and so it, like a lot of the, the pages that they have in the Gniza is like text on top of text. And they use all these cool technologies in order to understand actually like what was underneath them. So like you, and you can sometimes see these like on display in museums and stuff like, oh, like they wrote this way and then you like turn it 90 degrees and like right the other way um and and really like using every kind of layer and angle on a piece of paper in order to um all right glad to know you can read the chirogniza during the week uh good question <laughs> but no but i think so much of this like chirogniza can really teach us so much about this subject because like the same way that the rama says um, if it's in Hebrew, it's it's like Torah. That's why all of the business documents in Hebrew were actually preserved in the Cairo Geniza is that same orientation. So, okay, also I'm going to get off the Cairo Geniza <laughs> right now, but um, I think it really is super relevant. She legitimately talks about it in every conversation. You should just know. You can't, like, it's not just this class. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to read the book. Um, I, I will just say um, to Abby and Adam, who wrote about the whiteboard and the chalkboard, I would say Rebenit Sarna and I made an executive decision before this class. We were like, no more whiteboards, right? There will be no whiteboards in our homes on Chavez because that did seem to be like the, right? Like I, I don't erase things to make way for more writing except on my whiteboard. So I do think that like a whiteboard, like I wouldn't use a whiteboard to make my menu for Shabbat. Um, Okay, these are amazing. Oh, there was a question about opening letters. Maybe you want to take that and then I'll go on. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, the, like when I was growing up, we never opened anything. Like Harry Potter would arrive in a box on Shabbos and we would just stand there staring at it, salivating until Shabbos was over. I know now I'm, I've aged myself. Um, and, um, and that is um, not necessarily what we actually needed to have done because in order to unwrap something, you can just destroy it and then, you're not like creating a new vessel or anything like that. So um, there probably is like reason to say that th there is reason to maybe allow like opening things on Shabbat. Um, but, um, uh, but it's not necessarily good practice because the chances of your letter being about people of are extremely limited. Yeah. Um, and there's like mux of concerns, but I'll, I'll leave that. Also, um, yes. Um, chalkboards for meals are so cute for menus, but yes. Okay. Um, sorry, responding to the last comment, but I'm going on. Um, I think I'm not going to read. We have a, a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just, you should share your screen. Yes, I will do that. I'm not going to read all of this, um, because I want us to have time for, um, more discussion and, um, and also those last few sources. So, I'm, I'm going to summarize, and I think I'll probably just read one of these ones. I'll share my screen. Okay, so 
moving moving to somewhat more modern times, um, a little bit beyond what we've looked at so far. Um, so a few other a few other cases that come up as Achronim, late Rishonim, early Achronim, um, right? So the Trumat Hadashan is uh, is the mid 1400s and sort of onwards, right? As they're grappling with um, a little bit more print as a reality, more written materials, and grappling with specific cases, um, there are a few other factors that come into play in the later halachic discussions. So the Truman Hadashan is actually uh, Rabbi Israel Israeline, who um, was an Austrian rabbi. He's not really actually talking about writing per se, I and mean, he's early for talking about print. Um, again, writing in the 1400s, but he does talk about what happens when you have people speaking on Shabbat. He says, uh, basically Kiddush, right? These people are going to Kiddush. Um, and they're talking about all sorts of things about, he says, like, like wars, but I feel like it's, um, you know, like broader than that, right? Political happenings. And he says like, okay, so Daber Davar, right? You, Maybe you shouldn't really be talking about these things on Shabbat, but people get so much pleasure out of it. Surely there is an issue of Oneg Shabbat here, an idea you probably all heard about at some point. You should enjoy Shabbat. And he says these people really enjoy talking about these things. And so people are going to really enjoy it. Like, you know, far be it from us to stop them from having their Oneg Shabbos. Probably they can really talk about these things. And he just adds at the end, I thought it was very cute. Um, he says, like, some people who gather don't really enjoy it. Just peer pressure. So beware of peer pressure to get you to talk about things that you don't really enjoy on Shabbat. Um, but if you really enjoy it, you could probably do it. And this then gets quoted in later sources. Um, and so we, we put on here um, on the sheet, you can read it afterwards if you'd like. Yavetz, um, which is uh, Rav Emden, um, so 1700s in Germany, writing about um, like the written version of what the Truman Hadeshin is talking about, basically like newspapers, right? You Maybe it's not just about schmoozing after Shula Kiddush, but you actually hypothetically live in Chicago, but you get the New York Times delivered to your house on weekends. And you really enjoy reading the New York Times on Shabbat, when it's quiet in the house, relatively speaking. Um, and, you know, is this really, is this really a problem? So he says, okay, like on the one hand, again, people enjoy it. And this is the underlying part. Better, better news than like news of action, than, um, you know, books about war, right? It's, if it's not too bad, so maybe it's not too bad, but he ultimately says it, it could have, it could have problematic material in it, like um, commercial things, right? Maybe don't read the real estate section. Um, those things you for sure can't can't read on Shabbat. You can't be involved in those on Shabbat. Um, so you should be careful about not paying attention to those things. But ultimately, he's sort of like, okay, like newspapers, right? People read newspapers. Um, and sort of continuing in that line of thought, um, but taking it even a step further is Rav Moshe in the Igret Moshe. So uh, Rav Moshe died in the 1980s. Most of his writing was in the 1940s and 50s. So now we're well into the age of print. Um, and he's he's back to talking about, um, about letters, um, but really written material, um, I think more broadly is sort of part of what he's talking about. And he says, like, we don't really have to worry about erasing anymore. We're like all important people nowadays. There's no concern that we might erase, um, which seems like it's basically a way of saying we're, we're not we're not reading um, from like um, whatever like pencil written papers. We're not in that situation that Rabbi Nitzanin describes about like the paper shortages. Like most of us are not there. We don't need to erase. And we're not going to be tempted to erase. We're all in this category of anashim chashuvim, people who are not going to erase things. And anyway, is only if you say it out loud. So don't say it out loud. You're not going to be tempted to erase. And you're basically good to go in that sense. Again, bracketing all the other concerns about what you should do with your time on Shabbat, um, which Rabbi Nitzan is going to share a little bit more about. Um, I'm going to pause really briefly for questions, see if anything came in.
just because I know we're running out of time. Anything I should address? I think not. Let's keep going and then we'll answer some of like the bigger questions uh, at the end. Okay, go for uh, it. I'll talk fast. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk fast. Okay. So um, here we have the Shruti Vrayatsev, which is like a more kind of like, I mean, not to say that Ramosha wasn't Haredi, but like a more kind of like modern Haredi perspective. He passed away in 1994. Um, and um, he also basically says that like, um, uh, uh, the point of Shabbos is learning Torah. The Bnei Torah on Shabbos should be learning Torah on Shabbos. Like he basically like throws out the whole conversation and just says like, why are you reading anything that's not Torah on Shabbos? That's not what you do on Shabbos. Um, the Benine Halacha, who's Rav Malamed, he's still alive. He's, uh, you know, it was, felt important. Uh, he's a little bit like being attacked these days. So it felt good to bring him in. Um, um, and um, he um, he has like a, a much more complicated read of what's appropriate and not appropriate to read on Shabbos. Um, but I just underlined here the parts that are, that that, that give the sort of practical guidance about like, what not to read, right? So he says, um, you know, people who enjoy reading, uh, one who enjoys reading then, uh, reading like secular stories or novels may do so occasionally as the sages did not forbid reading for pleasure on Shabbat, but anything that's gonna cause you sadness or anxiety, you should avoid, um, maybe unless it has like some kind of Torah content, he says. And similarly, when you're reading the newspaper, you wanna really be, concerned like how is this how is reading this going to make me feel and if it's going to make me feel sad or worried then I shouldn't read it on Shabbos because Shabbos is a day for pleasure and the whole reason why it's permitted in the first place is because it brings me pleasure so if it's not then actually not only is it like bad to do on Shabbos but maybe it's actually straightforwardly um, prohibited and then in addition things that give practical business and investment advice advertisements for things that you might want to read or not read um, those are all things that you should not read on Shabbos and then at the end of the day he acknowledges like this guidance is really difficult it's really difficult to distinguish between what you can't what you should and shouldn't read um, it, and so then his conclusion which you don't necessarily need to adopt of course is that um um, the main point of Shabbos is Torah study. Don't do things that distract you from that. So when can you read all this other stuff? Oh, it's while you're in the bathroom on Shabbos. That's where you can read your like non-disturbing news sources. Um, and we did just want to leave you with like one final, maybe like framing text from the Shulchan Aruch and Mishnah Burah. Um, and this was um, Raquel, I think, had put this in the chat earlier of like, well, what am I allowed to like think about on Shabbos? So here's your text for that. You're allowed to think about your business or like your job on Shabbos. But out of respect for Oneg Shabbos, it's a mitzvah. And here by mitzvah, we mean like it's a good thing. It's a very confusing thing about rabbinic literature that mitzvah sometimes means you must and sometimes means it's a good thing. But here it means it's a good thing. Um, it's a mitzvah not to ponder them at all. It should be in his eyes as if all of his work is done. I think Robert actually put something into the chat about that earlier. That like on Shabbos, you're just supposed to like, it's as if your work doesn't exist. And that's very much where the Shulchan Aruch says it's permitted, but ideally on Shabbat, you are existing in a world as if all your work is done. And the Mishnah Burah says specifically, if thinking about your work is going to give you if it's going to distress your heart or give you worries, you should be especially careful about it. Um, and so with that, what I want to say is, um, and then we'll, we'll take, we'll stick around for a few minutes, I think, to take some questions and, 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 and finish up that way. But the way I want to round up is like, at the end of the day, we've, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of literature about what literature you're allowed to read on Shabbat. Does it give exact guidance for what in your world you should or should not read? I think, you know, Risha is not, it's a place where we love teaching texts and a little bit less love telling people exactly what to do or what not to do. So you can ask your own kind of uh, local authorities or whoever you normally ask about, um, you know, the specifics of like, can I read this thing or that thing? Um, but I definitely think a lot of these texts are dealing with 
Um, how do I keep my work out of Shabbos? And so then there's this like, okay, well, maybe we're not going to talk about it. Maybe, but I think this, this final idea is the one that, that I hope is the most helpful of like being really thoughtful about how does thinking about my work or reading things that touch on my work make me feel on Shabbos. And if they make me feel stressed out, then, or if I'm doing them because I'm stressed out, which is already like not a Shabbosic feeling, then maybe that's something I should be putting aside on Shabbos. Um, yeah, Ravani, welcome to all. Do you have any final final comments? Then we'll take some questions. Uh, just Robert mentioned that like a problem with these pronouncements is that there's no allowance or respect for cultivating and following your sense of what Shabbos stick, like one's own sense. And I think that what you said actually speaks to that. Um, but what I would also say is that there's a lot of literature out there and we didn't have time um, today to go into this, but there's a lot written, I'm sure you probably have all read articles about this, about, um, I think this one has called it work, work creep, right? The way that work has sort of found its way into every part of our life. And so I think that this is actually encouraging us to pull back and think, wait, like, what's actually fun? And what do I just like, relatively speaking, is like the most fun part of my job or like the least objectionable part of my job, right? And and I think sort of pulling back and being like, this is what Shabbat is actually for. Um, maybe I kind of like reading this other thing, but does that really fall into the scope of what I think should be appropriate for Shabbat? I think that's a really interesting way to, I guess, cultivate your inner rabbi, but also really to think about Shabbat and to think about work as two distinct categories, which is part of the goal of this class. I'll take a few questions, I think. Uh, I saw, okay, Tracy asks, in a world where we write everything on our computers, is there anything more Shabbistic than a handwritten list rather than a note on your phone? I think this one's for you. But I do think that in future classes, we're gonna talk about like tracking. Yeah. Um, so you can also, we can also decide to hold that question. I need that class because do you wanna see my to-do list? I like writing my to-do lists by hand. Okay, this is my most recent to-do list. It is is 100% in writing. It is 100% color coded. Don't tell me about all your getting things done systems. I know them all. I like this, okay? Um, so yeah, but I mean, I do think there's something kind of retro about it and people tease me all the time on meetings because I work in a digital space and I like taking notes by hand. Um, and that is the central irony of my life. But again, I think it's, um, I think there is like a personal piece here. Like for me, handwritten notes, are part of my work and might have to think about that in a way where someone who only uses their phone and only uses digital, digital written materials, whatever the right word for that is, might think about it differently. Uh, okay, so Chelsea has asked this question a few times and I punted at the beginning. So I think we do have to come back to it. If Go a student it. wants to read a chapter on Chavez, if they want to, right? I think emphasis here on the wants to, then are they good to go? So, uh, so the 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 um, Divrayetziv has. I only give you a tiny fraction of what is a very long write up, but part of what he writes about is Torah scholars. They learn Torah during the week, and then they're also supposed to learn Torah on Shabbos. Like, is that actually right, or should they like spend Shabbos like doing other kinds of pleasant things? Because then it's like what they're doing during the week. And he concludes like, no, Shabbos is for Torah. <laughs> um, um, and so I, I, I wonder whether, um, whether you could say something quite similar to like, this is what I enjoy doing during the week, and on Shabbos is for enjoyment, and so I enjoy doing it on Shabbos also. I think you could. Um, definitely say it like that, Chelsea. And then I think another way to say it would be to say, this is my work. My university pays me for it if I'm a doctoral student, let's say. Um, and I'm trying to create like boundaries in my life. So I, so I don't, but I don't know that the halakha has like clear cut guidance for you on that front. I don't know. So it's, uh, Ravani, welcome to you have other thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I would just say again, I think it's like, I think that with this, especially that last source that you read or the last two sources, what it really encourages us to do is think about not like, what's the, what's the least objectionable part of the work that I do, right? What's the most enjoyable of the work things that I do so I could do that on Shabbat, but really, like you said, carving out space and kind of relegating it. So I think, you know, Alana, I don't know, but like if 1984 is something you would read anyway for pleasure, then I think that you could find you could find outs in this literature, but 
think maybe not, the point of 1984 is to distress you. that's the point if it doesn't distress you you're not reading it right i was gonna say so that i think for care i think 1984 you're not allowed to read on job <laughs> so i was gonna say like as someone who like gave up in the middle i like i think um right it's like sad um but um right but presumably there's some other books you, you know that you could carve out and out for but maybe you would say is revenue service and no no like it's just even if I basically enjoy it it's still part of that part of my life that I would define as work right so yeah. Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea says <laughs> I've definitely spent some Shabbos yelling at my grad school readings like yeah I feel like that's the time to put your grad school readings down there is sad Turo also just saying yeah um we, we saw a text that talked about being allowed to, oh the Penina Halacha talks about yeah, if it's yeah. like sad stories about like anti-semitism historic anti-semitism or whatever then you're allowed okay. to read that because it's Torah yeah right oh that's what that awesome family was asking you guys yeah you guys wrote it just as I said it but yes the Penina Halacha thinks it's okay anyway <laughs> also true <laughs> Yeah, you just have to think that that uh, Orwell is uh, is Torah. I'll leave that up to you, Ilana. Read that would be Goldberg, right? Well, so yeah. that can be that can be everyone's homework this week. Until we meet again, you can think about you know what's the reading material you're considering on Shabbat. We don't want to hear about what you're thinking about reading in the bathroom, but what are you thinking about reading? And uh, yeah, what do you decide? All right, I think we're gonna wrap up here. Um, and but definitely come back next week this was so fun to learn with all of you guys um and um kayla's gonna take us home all right thank you everyone for joining us on whether you're joining us on facebook live on zoom or on the recording later uh, our next this um revenue welcome to all the memory sarah will be back next week same time 8 p.m eastern with on on uh, february 14th so you know this i think i think you should learn some tour on that day especially um, and if you want to learn more, learn more with Dresha, we have another class starting this week on, on tomorrow night at 8 p.m. with Rabbi David Silver called The Sitter, Prayer Book, and Storybook on the Amidah. And with that, and if you have any more questions, um, you can certainly reach, you can certainly reach Dresha at inquiry.org, or you can contact, um, Ramit Sarna at sarna at drisha.org and uh, Ramit Welcomefield. If anyone has any comes, brings up with any questions, what's the best way they can get in touch with you before next class?